everybody to doing it my way. Pat Pashini, Chris Polis. Hello, everyone. Uh, tonight, we're uh, blessed to have a pet industry pioneer. Pioneer, or I was going to use the word maven. Yikes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Dennis Curley. Dennis, excuse, welcome. Excuse me. Let, let me go find that guy, by the way. <laughs> hey. hey, Dennis. Welcome, man. Great to see you, man. I haven't seen you in a few years. I know. You and look it's great. great. It's great to be here. Thank you. It's even fun without the mic. <laughs> yeah, it's fun, right? That's exactly. a, that's why we started it. There you go. Um, where were you born? Believe it or not, Compton. Compton, California. Compton, California. I'm from the hood. Okay. It was a nice area when you were born there? No. No. Okay. Nope. No, it wasn't. And I didn't spend much time there. Um, I think we moved out when I was like five or six, so I don't have many memories. Is mm. that is that when uh, the, the neighborhood was changing? You know, I, I don't have many memories of Compton, so I wouldn't be, I, I really can't even attest to that, to tell you the truth. You've been there lately, though, have you? I've driven through it yeah. quick, quickly. Yeah, roll them up. We saw it on the news. Right. Right. Um, exactly. So your parents, uh, rich, poor, in the middle? Very middle class. Okay. I'd say middle to poor. What, what did uh, mom do? What did dad do? They both worked. Um, my mother at the time worked for a veterinarian when I was younger and, okay. and my father worked for a place called Kaiser aluminum. Okay. And, um, it took both of their salaries to, uh, raise the three of us. I've got two siblings, two sisters, an older one and a younger one. Oh, so you're in the middle. I'm in the middle. Oh, cool. And was Kaiser, uh, in like the area? Is that why you guys were there? You know, I'm not sure to tell you the truth. I just remember that we used to always have lots of wrap uh, rolls of foil paper. And um, so they, they did everything from aluminum, thick aluminum stuff to, to foil paper. Oh, wow. Man, I love, I but, love I, I But, you know, he worked in the office. He was just kind of a common guy. He wasn't, yep. um, I would have to say that my mother... This is in the '60s. When's this? Oh, I was born in 1950. Okay, so, so um, early '50s, exactly. So, and my mother was definitely the dominant one in the family. She kind of steered the ship, and my dad just kind of went along. He was a very hard worker. Um, I mean, Los Angeles in the '50s, right? Mm-hmm. Epic time. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, where'd you guys move to when you when you built Compton? Then we moved to beautiful South El Monte. Uh, okay. Yes. Another slice of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it still is. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. And, fu- um, and funny you say that because that's where I've set up my very first factory was in South El Monte just, by, just by chance. Wow. Is this, is this where you grew up? I grew up there. We, we moved from there when I was about uh, nine years old. So I think I was in about the fourth grade. So um, impressionable years. Uh, my parents because of my mother being in the veterinarian business, they got into breeding and showing dogs. So they bred and showed um, boxers and uh, flew them all over the world. Uh, and they had several champions. And then they would, you know, have stud service and then have, uh, I, I reflect back at spending time with my father building a kennel in the backyard. It was a 
big building with 15 runs, and we always, always had litters of puppies. Always boxers. Always boxers. Wow, and, that's fucking rad. Yeah. And back then, you know, they would uh, crop their ears, which they don't yeah. do anymore because it's inhumane, and cut their tails. Did you have to do that? No, no, no. No, the veterinarian would do that. Got yeah. it. But they always had these obnoxious racks on their head. Yeah, in the 70s, we got a Great Dane, and, the, and same you thing. did the same thing with yeah, the ears. Exactly. And, and stunning when they were finished, and it was correct. And then as I got older, I was like, how freaking barbaric was that? I know, exactly. Like, what if you did that to us? Exactly. Like, you cut their ears to make them look good. I know, exactly. Yeah, tell that to the moil. God knows what they would have done to me to make me look good. <laughs> right, they cut more. Full-time job. <laughs> so, so, are you in El Monte at that time when you're doing dogs? So, yeah, we're, we're, we're in El, El Monte, and so, you know, they would work during the week. Uh, I could remember part of my chore was coming home and feeding the dogs and hosing down the runs. So si- yeah. the side hustle was for your folks was the dogs. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool. And they did decent at it, I believe. Yeah. And, it, and it was fun. I can remember walking out the back door and opening up the pen and you know having thirty dogs mauling me, jump, yeah. jump on so, you, oh, yeah. yeah, licking me. And um, so, do you do you like dogs and do you like boxers? You know what? Um, I love dogs. Uh, I went for twenty six years without one. Um, just recently got a dog. No way. And he's now my best friend. What we kind s- of dog? Uh, an Australian Labradoodle. Oh, cool. Um, those, a, those, are, those are not genetically made. Those are God's <laughs> gift, yeah. I believe. And they're, you know, he's very warm and affectionate, and he's by my side 24-7. I mean, I take him into the office. I don't do a lot in the office. And this is recent. This is very recent. He's a year old. Oh, uh, wow. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. So he's the bright spot in my life right now. Oh, uh, cool. Isn't that, isn't that funny? But usually dog people have always had dogs, right. and, and they always do. But yeah. to not have one for a quarter century and right. then get one, that's that's neat. Yeah, exactly. You know, we were busy raising kids. My wife was raising kids, and I was flying all over the world trying to schlep my product. So um, so we really didn't have any time did for you dogs. Did you, when you were thought of getting a dog, did you consider a boxer? I did. As a matter of fact, I originally set out thinking I would get a boxer. And my middle daughter, um, she has two Labradoodles, and I fell in love with them, and she, her whole family was trying to convince me to get a Labradoodle, and one day they sent me a picture of one that was available, and um, I said, "Yeah, maybe closed you. Maybe I'll put a deposit on that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, maybe we'll get a dog when we're empty nesters. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so, so as a kid, you're with with these dogs. What are you, nine, ten in El Monte, or did you move again? I was uh, up until nine, okay. and the, then. For some reason, I'm not even sure what it was, but probably because it was so much work, my parents got out of the dog business. Okay. We moved to La Habra, mm-hmm. which is where I grew up, and um, spent the rest of my life in La Habra, Whittier, and Brea. So that's third, third, fourth grade, something like that? Yeah, fourth grade. What, do you remember where you went to elementary? I do. It was a, a school called Petrero. Okay. And... I'm not racist by any means, but I was definitely the only white kid in the class. Okay, and and there was a there was a language barrier there as well. I mean, so it was mainly Spanish kids, ma- mainly Spanish, and still is. I, I think mean, you can. I think we can say Spanish on the podcast. Yeah, I'm I pretty think, sure that's it's safe. socially acceptable. Yeah, I think we can say Spanish. <laughs> yeah, there you okay. go. So we're good. We're good. Yeah. So, uh, so what was that like? Was that like a, a pretty big change moving from? It was a huge change. Yeah, it really was. Um, you know, it was one of those, for me at least, kind of an aha moment where we finally had become, na- you know, 
regular folk. Um, you know, it's a very middle class area. Um, so it was an upgrade. It was a oh, fine. Okay. So mom and dad made a little bit more money, and it's yep. like, hey, we're moving. Did you move into a house or yeah, an apartment? We, or? Yeah, we moved into a house. We, oh, always, cool. had, we always had a home. Uh -huh. 1960 California. Like, exactly. That's Orange County. Exactly. Like, that's uh, yeah. epic times. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was a track home. Um, very middle class neighborhood. Nice people. Um, Is the house still there? It's still there. Still oh. drive by it every once in a while. Uh, cool. I reminisce. Yeah, because funny. that house is about um, half a mile from the high school I went to. So every once in a while, I'll take one of the old classic cars, like the one that I have that I drove through high school. <laughs> I'll park it in front of the high school, take pictures of it, and send it to my friends. And it ends up on Facebook. And people go, I remember you driving you that You still Mustang. have it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So do you, did you get a job in elementary school? Were you working or? Well, I was, yeah, I was always kind of a worker, okay. um, even if it was busy work. So I had a paper route and then I had a wagon that I loaded all my father's lawn mowing equipment on and I would run it around the neighborhood and I mowed lawns and delivered newspapers and, um. So Re I, reoccurring thread. Dude, it's freaking know, awesome, Dennis. I know, exactly. You know, because. If I wanted something, I had to pay for it because my parents couldn't really afford it. Mm -hmm. So, and I wasn't, even at that, I wasn't making enough money to do anything meaningful. I mean, I could build a go-kart or a, uh, or buy a new pair go of shoes. Or go something. to the movies or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Exactly. Man, the, the, that job, newspapers mm -hmm. and, and uh, mowing lawns was just the, there was no barrier to entry. If you wanted to, mm -hmm. if you wanted to be a paper boy, all you had to do was say, "I want to be a paper boy." Exactly. And Sign lit up. Literally, the next week you're making money. If you were stupid enough to want to be a paper boy, it was a <laughs> horrible job because you're tied down seven days a week. Yeah, yeah, you are busy. You are busy. You know, after school, everybody else is out playing. You're folding newspapers and delivering them. So I, <laughs> I had a buddy that was a paper boy in the late seventies, and. It snowed seven months out of the year. Ooh. So he's got to deliver papers in the snow. <laughs> Not <laughs> like, good. I mean, bo both my brother and I, we delivered the paper in the 80s. Yeah. You know? It's pretty, I mean, the, the, it, that's gone now. And then you got to collect. Then you got to collect, yeah. Collect, and right. then nobody's home or they're hiding. I know, exactly. I mean, um, they're, they're still paper boys, but... It, it's usually it's, some dude. Yeah. Like driving his car. Yep. Like yeah, a family. It's, it's not like a neighborhood kid job anymore. Mm, wow, Just, man. And, and mowing lawns. And mowing lawns. That's, you know, that's a job. So it's on, not like the neighborhood kid. So on Sundays, my father was kind enough to wake up in the morning first thing and fold papers with me. He had an old... Did you do the long fold or the square fold? The trifold. Trifold, yeah. Trifold, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, freaking trifold, So baby. he had a Triumph Herald. You know what that is. <laughs> a four-door Triumph. I mean, oh, probably, yeah. probably the ugliest looking car they ever made. No, I was going to say, oh, he's the one that bought it. <laughs> exactly. So we used to load the papers in the back of the Triumph Herald, and he knew the route better than I did. So we'd, we'd load the papers in the back of the the Herald and I'd sit in the back and we'd drive down the street. And of course at that time I'm, I'm staying up too late the night before. So I'm in the back in the trunk of the Herald and we'd go by two or three homes that I, he noticed no papers flew out of the trunk. Mm -hmm. He'd bang on the side of the car to wake me up. <laughs> so and you're then, in the fucking trunk. I'm and, in the trunk. And this is, ah! this is like five thirty in the morning. Yeah, or right. Something. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> who, awesome. who, who can stay in the way, uh, awake in the back in the trunk of a herald 
you know, nestled in the middle of newspapers. And you're, and you're supposed to be chucking the papers exactly. onto the front yard. So he notices, you know, we just passed three houses that should have gotten papers. And, he, you know, he, every yeah. once in a while he'd get out and chew me out, but he'd back up, pound the side of the car. So that, you know, the driver's side always had this nice indentation where he was always <laughs> pounding on the door. I mean, that's funny how, how like, a just a little bit of help. Right, yep. a little bit of like, hey, I'm I'm in. You you wanted to deliver papers. I'm in. I'm in. Right. I'm going to help you. Yeah, yeah you, he you could know. have just said, "Hey, there's your bike." Hey, you're, Go. Yeah. yeah, but he's, he's in, and he in. That's a big. That's a big deal, yeah, right? In the in the in the grand scheme of things, I you're think. Absolutely right. He's a great guy. Wow, he was. Um, would you play sports in elementary? <laughs> I ran. Okay. Uh, track and cross country. Um, I played a little bit of football when I was younger, but I was never big enough. So. And I didn't like getting hit. Yeah. So join the club. Join the club. <laughs> yeah. It didn't didn't take very long before I was you know picking myself up off my backside, saying you know this really isn't for me. Um, when you when you get out of elementary, mm-hmm. it, was it middle school or high school? Middle school. Middle school. And in elementary, were you a good student? You know, I was never a good student. Okay. Um, and my friends that listen to this will all laugh. <clears throat> I was never a good student. I always just kind of got by. Um, I always, I was, I, I think I had ADD probably and yeah. didn't really want to be there. So. It's called detention when you were a kid. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They weren't medicating then. They exactly. Were just, they were just managing. Had they, maybe my whole life would have been different. Right. You'd be working I at actually, a desk job. Right. Still. No, you, right. You would have, you would have said, okay, I'll just work. Yeah. I'll like, run the program. I wouldn't been, a, I wouldn't have been a scrapper. Uh, well, I always say in the, it's, what they call kids in the 60s with ADD now is CEOs. <laughs> there you go. Right. There yeah. you go. Because they weren't medicated, and, and they're thinking. They made it work. Yeah. They definitely made it work. So you, you weren't a good student because you didn't care? I think because I really – no, I didn't. I don't think I really cared. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I, I knew that it was important to get an education, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, I, it just didn't work for me for some reason. So, did, and you, did you have fun in junior high? Yeah, I remember. I reflect back; it was fun. Where'd and you I, go? I went to Meadow Green Junior High, uh, which was in Whittier, and then I went to Lowell High School. Lola, Lowell, L O W E L L. It's still still Lola? there. It's no longer a high school; it's a chiropractic school, but it's still there in Whittier. Oh, um, okay. And and I followed my older sister into high school, and she was a brainiac, and. Uh, she was editor of the newspaper, got straight A's. Oh, she was the smart girl. Yeah. The gumptioner. <laughs> exactly. So here I am. Yeah, they're like, oh, you're just like your sister? Exactly. And you're like, nah, yeah, right. I'm a dumbass. <laughs> oh, my goodness, look. We've, we've got another curly coming here. It's going to be a walk on the park. And I'd go, surprise. Right. <laughs> About after the third class, they'd go, yeah, it must have been a different gene pool. Yeah. How, how, like, what was this the, curly's what, adopted. What, yeah. was, what, was, yeah. what was the age difference? Two years. Two years. Two years. Okay, so she was a junior, junior. when you are a freshman. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. We have that in our house. That's funny. And what about your younger sister? Same? Younger sister's five years younger than me, so okay. she was. She kind of tailed back a little Got bit. Got it. And she was just an average student, too, so. That's a that's a big spread, though, at that age. So it's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah. it wasn't. Exactly. It was someone else's kid. Exactly. Because you were never in the same school together. No. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Um, So. Well, so high, high school, school, wait, high school oh. was uh, uh, 
mid sixties. Sixty four through sixty eight. Oh my gosh! I mean, yeah. California. That is, yeah, that is California. That is yeah. prime freaking time. It was. You know, I reflect back on it, and I I take it for granted, obviously. But there was just so much. What going music on were then. you listening to? The Beach Boys originally, you know, Jan who, and, who were local, Jan and Dean, you know, and then the <laughs> yeah. Beatles appeared. I think that that was about eighth grade is when the Beatles appeared, and and the Beatles are originally from Orange County. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The little town of yeah, Liverpool, Orange County. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and what was your first car? My first car was a 1962 Ford Fairlane. Nice. Um, oh, cool. I my best friend growing up, uh, his father owned a Ford dealership, and. Um, so I was fortunate enough to be able to get cars, <clears throat> I guess, at wholesale or whatever, used, used cars. And he, is, is the Ford dealership still there? No. Oh. It went bankrupt, unfortunately. They were out yeah, because they were selling friends' right. cars at wholesale. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in an auto mall, so it didn't work. Well, actually, I th- really what happened was my best friend took it over and because he, you know, he was born with a golden spoon, obviously, and I... I, I at the time I kind of envied him for that, but now as I reflect back, um, their family probably had more impact on me than anything else that ever happened to me in my wow. life. Um, How come? Because you know they 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 had made it. It was third generation. Um, then their name was on the back of every license plate on a Ford that was sold. Um, so his like grandpa was selling Model A's. His grandpa had a handshake deal with Henry Ford. Wow. Know? So. Um, and I knew his grandfather very well. I was a pole bearer in his funeral. Um, oh, wow. I was like a second son to my best friend's uh, father. I mean, they really took me under their wing and um, and really taught me a lot about the finer things in life. They had mm-hmm. an airplane. They had a cabin in Big Bear. They had a home in Palm Springs. I mean, I was living, oh, living life big when I was with them. Do you remember? Do you remember in the 80s there were those posters that said, Poverty Sucks? Right, and it was a guy yeah. in his garage with three Porsches a and a Ferrari, Ferrari a and a Porsche, a Ferrari and a Bentley, or like, something like like that. But living it right where right. you where you see this. So his dad had a presidential Rolex. His dad was, you know, he was just a he was a cowboy. You know, he wore boots and farm um, farm guy that owns a Ford store. Exactly, exactly. He's just a regular old guy. He and he would roll up his sleeves, and I remember. Going up to their big bear cabin, they were building it at the time, and they actually built it. I mean, they didn't hire anybody. They only hired the people to pour the slab and put the main beam in. And we would go up there every weekend and work on the cabin. As and, kids. As kids. Yeah. As in kids. high school. Right. Oh, that's cool. And then and then as a reward, we'd go out to a nice dinner and maybe do some night skiing. Or on Sunday, we'd go skiing. So Or horseback riding. He sold the, the, the local stable all their trucks. So we'd go up, and they'd give us horses for three or four hours, and we'd just go out in the middle of nowhere. And, wow. So, and that was all through high school? All through high school, And, yeah. and did you have a, a job through high school? Um, yeah. I worked I worked part-time before I was old enough to have a real job at 16. Before I turned 16, I would work at the dealership in the get-ready department, scraping window stickers off of Shelby's because they had just been introduced. <laughs> wow. Um, and and there again, that's probably the influence from them. I became a car guy. You became a car guy. Wow, dude. You're how how around it? How freaking crazy is that? You were you remember scraping the the Maronis off of yeah. uh, Shelby's real ones? Yeah, really. And you know, in, wow. in in waist high galoshes with this power blowing hose, 
with water going everywhere and me soaked from head to toe, but it was okay. I think I was making like a dollar seventy an hour at the time. So it was like, wow, this is this is great. I'm living life big. Yeah. No more paper routes. <laughs> Around cool cars. Exactly. Um, Mid sixties for all the big three were just the best times. You had you had Mustangs. Yep. You had Shelby's in California. We didn't have those. Uh you had country squire wagons yeah. and, and fair lanes and I mean it's just Corvettes. Yeah, Corvettes. And, and, I mean, and like, yeah, just great stuff. But back then, you know, um, th- they had these launches for new models, and they would put uh, butcher paper over yeah, all they the windows the showroom, of the showroom. Right? The cars would come in with blankets over them. Nobody could even see what a new car looked it like. It was an unveiling. Yeah, and there was a line down the street. Just to see it. Just to see the new Mustang. Very see, that's cool. so cool. I know, exactly. Where everybody cool. cared. It, everybody did care. You're and, right. and because you didn't see it on Instagram every day. Right. So you had to go wait at the Cadillac store if you wanted to see 1966 Cadillac. Yep. See, that's so cool. Exactly. I'd be in that line. I would, too. Yeah. I was. Yeah, <laughs> that's neat. Yeah. What, what, did, what was high school like those four years? You know, high school was, um, I enjoyed it. Uh, I made... You know, a lot of friends. It was it was just such a footloose and fancy free time. You know, a lot of rebellion. Mm-hmm. I remember. Did you smoke weed in high school? No, no, no. You know, back then there were two different types of people. You were either a, they referred to it as a juicer or a doper. Okay. You know, a juicer drank beer on yeah. the weekends. A doper smoked pot. You're a juicer. So the guy, yeah, the guys that I hung around with, you know, we'd we'd all pitch it in together and get a six pack of beer and go up in La Habra Heights and sit and look at the lights and. Tell dirty stories and talk about girls and right. yeah, right, right. exactly. Yeah, talk about <laughs> girls. talk about the druggers, yeah. Yeah. the, the yeah. dopers who are the probably dopers. scoring with the girls. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you're sitting, they didn't remember it the next morning. Yeah. You're, you're sitting there with your cheap shitty beer talking about the girls. Exactly. So did you? You, you did what? You ran cross country. Yeah, cross country and track, and that didn't fare too well either. As soon as I got to the age where I could work, I worked. Um, okay. I worked at a gas station. I, I, I had, you know, three or four basic jobs. I worked at a gas station. The only job I ever got fired from was Colonel Sanders' Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, How come? Evidently, I wasn't frying the chicken right or something. I don't remember. Fuck, Were you, you on the fry station? Yeah. Oh, I did everything. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was a nasty job, too. You know, in, in that hot kitchen with the pressure oh, cookers and burning that. your ass yeah. off. Exactly. Oh. But you must have messed up something. <laughs> I think I must have. I must have. So you worked at KFC, and it was it was Colonel Sanders. Right, exactly. Back and, then. The, the, and that's when it was really fucking right. good. And they right. did, you, and you never said KFC back then, did no, you? No, because it no, wasn't it was Kentucky, Kentucky Fried, Fried Chicken. Chicken. They, Colonel, yeah, Colonel there was, Sanders. Yeah. There was a, a, some type of change. I don't think, I don't think Colonel Sanders is welcome today. <laughs> I think, I but think then, he got but canceled. then it's a uh, they pull rank. Yeah, exactly. I think he got canceled. Yeah, but then I got my dream job at the time. I went to work at the bowling alley, <clears throat> the local bowling alley, and and I got into bowling, which was busy, which was busy, and it was you know it was it wasn't 
uh, it wasn't prestigious, but it wasn't the, a bad thing to be a bowler back yeah, then. Yeah. And it was kind of the place that everybody hung out at after, after high school football games or whatever. So here I am working the desk at a bowling alley. Shoes or just? Yeah, or rent, just renting shoes and giving out and lanes. And handing out the big paper. Exactly. Yeah, right. and the pencils yeah. and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I got to know. Lane 17. Every good looking girl at school, I knew what size shoe she wore. Ooh, there you go. I was yeah. the Al Bundy before my time. <laughs> <laughs> you spray that shit in the shoes? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You got to deodorize it. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what were you driving then? The, still the fair lane? Back then, it was the fair lane. Yeah. I didn't get the Mustang until uh, the latter part of 1967, my and, junior year. And at that wait, point. Wait, which he still owns, by the way. Yes. Uh, which is, well, yeah. we're going to get there. I know. I want to talk I know. about it's that. It's so cool. I know. It really is. <laughs> so in high school, at this time, you're going to school. You're still a average, below average student, or are you getting an, get an average student with had no idea where I was going. Nothing, and right? That, and that really kind of scared me a little bit, to tell you the truth. What, what, to elaborate a little on that. What does that feel like? Um, you know, it was funny because uh, my senior year, probably a month before I graduated, which I didn't have any idea if I was going to graduate or not because it was that close with a couple of classes. Okay. I remember sitting out on the lawn, kind of looking down at the school and thinking to myself, you know, you really screwed up here. You really should have, you really should have taken advantage of. You realize that then. Exactly. <laughs> and then, and then I'm kind of a melancholy guy as well. So I started to reminisce and think about, you know, I'm 30 days away from my whole life changing and I don't have a clue where I'm going. Which was scary. Yeah, so you had and, buyer's remorse. And, oh, and, yeah. And what year is this? 1968. So you're graduating 1968. We've got Vietnam going on. Yep. Are, is there a, there's the draft oh, yeah. is on, right? Oh, yeah. So you're thinking, oh, fuck. I know. The draft is going on, and it's that was the period where they had the lottery. So you were assigned a number. Every year they would pull these ping pong balls out, and they'd give you a number. My number was 203, mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of the Vietnam War. So one of my friends and I had decided we're just going to go down and enlist. Um, so we told our parents we're going down, we're going to enlist in the Navy so we don't have to go to Vietnam. And we get down there and we go through the physical and, and you know, they actually did give you a moment where they said, if you're not sure about this, there's a back door. And we both walked out the back door. Wow. And we both looked at each other and said, you know, this is really not what we want to do. Holy so, shit, Dennis. Yeah. That's got to be freaking insane. It is. But does that number still matter? It did because they got to number 199 that year. <laughs> and they're pulling five numbers at a time. So they get to 199. I think I'm going. You're going. Because I had gone to college. I had messed up there as well, so I lost my student deferment. I went to college to become a commercial pilot. Oh, jeez. Because jeez. I figured, you know, I, I love to fly. The purchase had taught me how to fly. and um, But so what happens is I get really interested in, in flying and becoming a commercial pilot right at the end of the world, right at the end of the Vietnam War. And all these pilots are coming off of the Vietnam War. <laughs> Good luck getting and a job. Yeah, they're flying <laughs> fighter jets, and I'm in a Cessna 150 that's going 90 miles an hour. <laughs> Yeah, so right. where are they going to hire? Right. So here's another fork in the road where I've got to kind of make a decision. So you did graduate. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. you're still working? I'm still working at the bowling alley. Okay. And um, dating my wife. And, okay. Uh, I met my wife in 1967. What's, and what's, what's her shoe size? <laughs> <laughs> 
He's like, that's, back. The, that's the only one I don't know. Oh no, my no, God. no. I think she, she was a seven and a half back then, I believe. <laughs> I can, you know, we, what we try to do on the podcast is not have any trap questions. <laughs> I've, I've been, I've been trapped. This is the first, uh, the first pod that's going to get gotcha. edited. It's going to get edited. <laughs> Thanks. Couldn't yeah. happen to a nicer uh, guy, I'm, right? I'm sorry, Dennis. Not a problem. Um, so you you graduated high school. Where did wait, you wait, go to wait, college? Wait, so you said you were scared, right? Because you right. didn't know what you wanted to do. Right. Don't you think almost every kid in high school shares that same thought? Well, Except I, the kid like that's going to USC be, and uh, it's on that path. I'm thinking to myself, I'm the only guy that went to school right. that didn't pay attention. Did you talk to your friends about like, dude, what are we going to do? I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. Or or you just internalized it and just I, had fear. I think we were all in the same boat. I yeah. think that we were all just living. Yeah. You know, we yeah. were just existing. So I, yeah. I hear that story about you going to enlist in the Navy and I think about Big Wednesday. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen Big Wednesday. No. There's a scene where these guys all get drafted, and they're all surfers down on the beach, and they, they show up as a bunch of freaking crazy men and homosexuals and all these things that try to get them out of the draft. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, sure that, I'm sure that was going well, on. Well, one, one thing I've, I've learned on the pod, though, everybody in that same time frame all remembers the, ne- the mm-hmm. number. Sure. All remembers their draft number that on that. ping pong ball. Yeah. Exactly. It's etched a, in the back of my mind. Yeah, that's a important number. Uh, uh, did you get into did you get into college? Or did you go to I went, I went to Cypress Junior College, which had an aviation program. Okay. Um and that really didn't work out that well for me either, to tell you the truth. I uh, I I continued to work at the bowling alley and my wife actually pressured me. I guess I, is what you would say. You really should think of something else to do with your life because working at a bowling alley probably isn't the dream job. <laughs> She's you like, you're not the marrying yeah. type. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Who owned the bowling alley? The Birches. Oh, they did? Yeah, the people that uh, owned the Ford dealership. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay, so they, exactly. they own the town. They own the town. They're, they're big oh, time. Oh, yeah. Big I city. remember the guy that owned our bowling alley was a big, you know, he had, a, he had like a Corvette. Like yeah. that was... You might as well have had a Lamborghini in my hometown. Sure, like he was yeah, a. The Birches he was, had a bunch of Fords. He was a. He, All like of them. The bowling alley was that the the place. Well, and and at that time, you know, the Birches were all driving GTAs and Mach ones, and and we'd go out. I, I I'd go over to their house, clean the car just so I could drive it around the block. Yeah, I mean, it was that yeah. cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um. So so you. Did you get kicked out of high school or college, or did you just say I'm done? No, I just basically said I'm done, and um, <clears throat> my wife convinced me that I should probably get out of uh, the bowling industry. Mm-hmm. And there, were, in one of the bowling leagues, there was a couple of guys that uh, owned a, a foam fabricating company, and uh, they offered me a job to come and uh, and be a foreman at one of their facilities. So a full-time real job, a, real, a full grown-up time, job. A grown-up job, right, exactly. But you, you, you're 18 or 20? I am, at that point, I'm probably 19. 19, right. and they start you as a foreman? Yeah, but you have to understand that, you know, it, you don't have to be real bright to... Did you have to speak Spanish? To work in the... No, it, there weren't a lot of Hispanic guys. There were, okay. you know... Uh, but you were, you were executive material at 19. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, <laughs> yeah. Executive <laughs> okay, material. I get it. Yeah, right. Exactly. 
How, yeah. how, how long do you do that for? And what was that like? So <clears throat> I did that for, oh, let me think, probably <clears throat> three or four years. And three, what, probably what, three what, years. What were you making, like seat cushions? Um, f- or, we were f- fabricating urethane foam for furniture manufacturers primarily. Okay. And, and van converters and motorhome manufacturers. No aerospace so. stuff, just no. all. No, it was yeah, all, 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 all pleasure stuff. stuff. All, all for the pleasures. Yeah. But you'd be surprised. There was a big, you know, big market for it. I boats, mean, dude. Hell, oh, yeah. boats. Oh yeah, everything. Boats. Freightliner. We did. Yeah. You know, all. We would just supply the foam to the people that upholstered it. Yeah. So that just went into the seats. Exactly. Yep. And what was the raw product? <coughs> was it polyurethane? And did you guys then make the cushions, or we did, did you we, just we bought you these got it big blocks of foam, and then you guys cut it? We had these huge band saws, and we would just cut it to size and huh. glue it and put Dacron on it. And um, do all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. Ah, cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Um, Glamorous. Yeah, it's super very, sexy. Very, very <laughs> sexy. Yeah. I was a highly sought after once they found out I was a foreman at a foam factory. <laughs> and so you, you do that for a few years and what changes, what transpires? So, um, the owner's son was, uh, in the Vietnam war. I was in the factory with, uh, soon to be my partner, um, we didn't know it at the time. So his son comes back from Vietnam, and um, <clears throat> he becomes a salesman. And he's hooked on the weed and uh, and probably not paying attention to business. So they pull him off of the salesmanship job. And I said, hey, you know what? Why don't you give me a shot at that? And uh, the two owners looked at me and said, you know, you're too young and a little too immature to do that. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that because uh, – I was crushed, number one. and Because um, you thought you were old and mature. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. I was already right. 19, and I'd been around the world five times. And <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I was disappointed. Um, and at that point, I decided, you know what? I probably should move on. Wait, so so you, were, you were crushed, and what was the other feeling? Disappointment. Were you pissed? Disapp- oh, yeah, I was pissed. So you quit? Well, I hadn't quit yet, but there was a local salesman that was calling on us, selling us stapling equipment, which uh, upholstery shops used. And the sales guys for the staple shop, or for the staple company, um, were all, you know, 25, 30 years old. It was really a cool job because they got a company car, they got an expense account, they went out and called on accounts, but you had to repair the tools. So anyway, he said, I expect... I explained to him that I was a little dis- disappointed and was thinking about leaving. And he says, well, you know, why don't you put your application in at this company down the street called Powerline? So I, I did that and I got hired as my nice. first sales job. So, um, and I was overly eager and um, did a really good job as a sales guy. So when you left the, the, the phone place, how much money are you making? Or what are you, are you getting paid hourly? Yeah, hourly and probably... I don't know, four or five bucks an hour. Okay. And and, and and so you go to a sales job, and is it salary or is it commission? Salary and commission. And now I've got a company car. You're big time. I'm big time. Which was your, what was your first company car? A Ford Galaxy. They were all Ford Galaxies because <laughs> you had to have a lot of toolboxes in the back. You and, needed a big trunk. Exactly. Exactly. And did they train you? Because you weren't in sales. Right. Did they have a sales training program? Well, or? I actually rode around with the guy that I was replacing. Um, they took his territory, split it in half, gave half to one guy, half to me, and um, and then he trained the two of us. <clears throat> but you have to remember that coming from the furniture industry, I'd made a, contacts here and there, 
just working at the foam company where I could actually leverage that and get those accounts to switch over to us if they weren't using our product. So, so um, you had a, you had a new in, I had a real, you had a Rolodex. Yeah. I had a Rolodex. <clears throat> I was very, very organized and anal. I had my Thomas brothers map book. Remember those? And Oh yeah. So and I had, hey, how about remembering Rolodex? <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> or the day before a calculator when you had to use a veneer guide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Shit. You didn't even have it. Yeah. So I was really organized. Um, I was really frothing at the bit to make a success of myself. And um, so how old were you? 20. Okay. So you're 20, very young, very young. And, and they even said that when they hired me, they said, you know, we've never hired anybody under 21 years old. So this is a real, you know, could you a, feel the pressure? Like oh, yeah. I, I got a oh, kick yeah. ass here. Or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And this is my coming out party. I mean, it was yeah, like, you were driven. You either do it or you're dying. You, and, and what did you like about sales? You know, <clears throat> interacting with people. Number one, number two, being rewarded for doing a good job. Yeah. So I worked long and hard. You remember uh, your first paycheck? I don't remember the amount, but I remember it was a hell of a lot more than working in the factory. It, but it was a game changer, right? It was Life a, changer. It, it was definitely a game changer. Yeah. And you looked, you're like, oh my god. Yeah. And, and, and at that time, did you miss it, the bowling alley? <laughs> Not really. I mean, it's still bold on Thursday nights. It yeah. was a, an excuse to go drink beer. <laughs> um, what did, What did the soon to be your wife think when she, when you got the first paycheck you remember oh, she that? was oh, she was excited you know, we yeah. bought we bought our first home for $23,000 were you married we, at we, that time we, i got married when i was 20 yeah. so you take take the job that's and you a get big married? year yeah 1970 uh, yeah big year for me right exactly wow sold the mustang for a down payment for the house for the house very the cool house. so i've got that beautiful mustang i'm it was an emotional situation i had to sell the thing to, to, you know, drum up part of the $4,000 we needed to put down on this house. To be a grown-up. To be a grown-up, exactly. Wow. So, yeah. so I went from the Mustang to a motorcycle, and my wife's driving a $50 Ford Falcon. <laughs> and she's working at Gould Battery in City of Industry, has to drive this $50 Falcon over the hill. Heater doesn't work. I'm on a motorcycle in the rain, but we own a helm. Right, oh, right. Which was, which was more the important. The fastest way to, to yeah. wealth in the United States of America. Exactly. Right? And how home. much was a home in 1970? 22000 22000 for a three-bedroom, one-bath. <laughs> yep. Wow. Yep. Is that house still there? Still there. We sold it. Um, What's it worth today? Oh. Hundreds, you know, and we we kept it for a long time. We 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 actually we we bought that house and um, we kept it for a long time. We had it as a rental for years and years and years, right? Um, and then eventually sold that house and bought another rental house in Brea where we had bought our our, our home, so it was a little closer to our our primary residence. Yeah. So so the the Mustang made the house happen. It did. How long do you How long do you stay at that job? I stay at that job for several years. And then a guy that I worked with at Foamcraft, while I have this job, calls me up and said, hey, someone just told me about a used bandsaw that we could buy and we could get into the foam business. And um, I thought about it for a little while and I thought, God, what a great opportunity. Um, you know, because he was he was running a factory. I was a sales guy, so it was kind of a marriage made in heaven, front office, back office type of thing. Exactly. So, 
So um, I told him I'd do it, and then I, I'll never forget, uh, he and I drove to our, my home where my pregnant wife was, <laughs> our first child in her stomach, and um, the two of us broke the news to her. Oh, that we were that you're quitting your jobs? She's got <laughs> tears running down her face. How could you? Having having a... a, a I take this bowling alley bum, <laughs> right. turn him into a sales star. Successful sales yeah, star. And now you're going to jeopardize it all? Wow. So it was not a pretty picture for a couple of months. So there there must have been a a, a driving factor in the back of both of your you guys's heads mm-hmm. where this is this is risky and stupid mm-hmm. but this makes more sense than doing what we're doing exactly which it's, is which is you know the 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 start of an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and somebody risking everything and pulling her balls out and saying hey honey I know you're pregnant, and I know we have a mortgage. Right. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're doing this. It's the great American dream. Yep. Yes. But the key was I didn't have to give up my primary job. Oh, see, that's So that's, during the day, I'm out selling stapling equipment to all the same guys that are buying foam. So I'm selling foam and staples. He's back at the warehouse cutting the foam. Yeah. And his father that we had hired, um, he's delivering the foam. I'd get off work at 4.30 or 5. I'd hop in my car, drive to South Almonte. I'd work till midnight cutting foam. So we were, we only could afford one bandsaw, so only one of us could cut at a time. Right. So uh, that went on for about a year. And then finally I was at a point where I could quit because the thing really blossomed quickly. It really did. So and, Based and, on your relationships. Yes. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say, was it was the key to that business at the time, it wasn't how much foam can you cut, or was it how much can you sell, or was it how much, like, what limited you? Well, at the time... If you got another bandsaw, could you double your... Oh, and, and we did. I mean, we very quickly had two or three or four bandsaws. Okay. And then the business grew to a point where, you know... Back in the early seventies, you know, we were doing a million dollars a month in sales. Oh, geez! And, so um, you can scale it quickly. Yeah, and we, we and we did very, very quickly. We, you know, because I kept my job, I didn't have to draw a paycheck. We would we would work on Saturdays cutting foam for the public. Mm-hmm. So if you had a cushion that was soft and you wanted it replaced, you'd bring in your cushions. We'd cut it, stuff the cushions for fifty, sixty, seventy bucks, and that's how we that, that's how he lived. And that's how I substitute. That substitute. was like the side. Exactly. exactly. So I had the side hustle for the side hustle. Right, exactly. So you have to have two side <laughs> I hustles. Got, I got it going on. Ah, You're right. Freaking right. awesome. But working my butt off, that's for sure. Yeah. Literally two jobs. Two jobs. Yeah, exactly. But it was okay. Um, is there a time in that in that job where it starts to turn and, you're, and you guys are like, oh, my God, I'm making money? Yeah, it happened pretty quickly, actually. I mean... Probably we started in seventy three, and by seventy, by seventy five, I bought my first brand new SL. Oh, oh shit! He got a four fifty SL. Oh, I got, that's he got a four fifty SEL, and I bought a four fifty SL. Oh yeah, that's so the, that's the high cotton. Yeah, we're so do- you were making fucking money. Yeah, we're doing really well. We kept we kept the original house, and in, you bought an SL when you're twenty five, twenty five years old. I'll oh, never yeah. I'll never forget the day buying that too. It was in downtown uh, L.A. Motors. I walk in, and there's this guy that's probably 75 or 80 years old, pair of little spectacles on, 
this SL sitting on the showroom floor because it's the only car they have there at the time. And I look at the sticker price, and it's $27,318, <laughs> right? And this guy, I'm, I'm kind of looking around, and he's kind of treating me like this punk kid that doesn't, right, you know, doesn't right. belong You're burning my up, yeah, kid. Yeah, exactly, right. So he walks up, and I look at him, and I go, so um, <clears throat> what would you take for this? And he puts the spectacles on, leans over, looks at the sticker, and goes, $27,318. And I said, there's no discount? You got to remember, I just came from a Ford store, right? Right. And I'm thinking, well, I got to get a couple thousand dollars off. So I ended up buying it for $27,318. So, <laughs> right there. Yeah, right wow. there. What yeah. color? It was the light blue metallic with uh, blue leather interior. Oh, nice. And back then they had the hard top, removable hard yeah. top and yeah. soft top. Wow. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So I, you, you pulled in the driveway that night? And I, fi- I finally made it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you got a freaking band. Look at this. Uh, did you pay cash or you, you put oh, no. that on the drip? Put it on the drip. Yeah. Put it on the drip. Yep. That's and so it was great. And it was a company car, of course. And this was Carter? Was this Carter? So I don't remember. 75, yeah. I was too busy selling foam. Oh, but your like, interest rate was probably 30%. <laughs> on yeah, the, probably. On the, on, the, on the loan. Exactly. Back then. <laughs> So how long do you guys sell foam? We sell foam. Uh, so my partner and I, <clears throat> to this day, are still very, very good friends. Um, but we both have kind of a different point of view. I'm tired of selling a commodity. Mm-hmm. And it was a, it was a tough business because you were, you were selling, you're giving people a lot of credit that were not credit worthy. You know, they have, they've got a compressor, a staple gun, and a bandsaw. And they owe you ten thousand bucks. Well, they don't even have five hundred assets. Right? right. So I got tired of chasing money, and I told you them, spent most of your time doing that. Yeah, selling yeah. it, sell, selling and collecting. Yeah. So nobody's paying up front. No, oh God, no. No, 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 that doesn't happen. <laughs> so I told my partner, I said, you know, we really, I, I really want to, I want to build a business where I, we can develop a finished product. And he said, you know, I'm really kind of enjoying this foam fabricating thing. So we split up. Yeah. And um, he went his way, I went my way. So what did you do when you went your way? Well, at the time, we had, we were manufacturing the headsets for the in-flight movies for the airlines because <laughs> they had a little tiny foam plug in them back then. Yeah. And they had a piece of plastic laminated on them, and they were disposable. So we were selling. Oh, they had that. Was that the? Like yeah, the yeah, exactly. It, Almost it, stethoscope it, looking it, thing. It was just air coming through a tube. Yeah, that was an so air if you, tube. If you unplug it, you hear the sound coming out of your armrest. Yep. Yes. Yeah, it was weird. But they were. But that was the you know the the part that had to be sanitized. So they threw those little foam things away. So we was I sold it to all the direct to all the airlines. That's a lot um, of little yeah ear pieces. So we were doing that and and a lot of other little stuff. Nothing. I I had to take a pay cut and I had to regroup, but. Um, just knew that I didn't want to be in the commodity market anymore. Okay, so you're doing custom foam pieces. Right. But finished end products. Right. And how were you how were you prospecting for new business? Just looking for other applications for foam, you know, and at the time, um, <laughs> it's so at, crazy. At the time, I I ran into a company that um, manufactured orthopedic braces and I worked very closely with them to develop braces with hot and cold treatment um and i got it i was a big velcro distributor at the time so we were die cutting velcro so all these arm slings and walking casts and 
I was supplying the foam for those and then all the Velcro components as Holy well. Holy shit. So it was kind of a, there were a lot of little di- different little stair steps that we were taking. Did We did the 1984 Olympics, the stadium seat cushions, you know, the, the ones that you would buy at an event that had Sam the Eagle on one side. and the, So I did that. Um, with the handle, right? Exactly. They to walk. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. a little cheap one with the handle. And is this, are you, you have a partner at this time? No. No, this is your oh, own deal. Yeah, this is my own deal. This okay. is my own deal. I've got I've got a, a minority partner that I recruited to come and sell for me, but he really didn't turn out to be a very good. He wasn't an asset to the company, so right. that didn't but, last very but, long. I mean, this is your brain trust. My brain trust, right. Wow. Exactly. And, you're, and you're just hustling. You're. I'm just looking for a way to make a finished product. Yep. I am. So... That being said, one of our competitors went broke that had some sewing equipment and a waterbed line. They were manufacturing <laughs> waterbeds. The late 70s, early 80s? What's this? This was back in the mid-80s. Waterbeds. Waterbeds, yeah. right, exactly. And I thought to myself, well, this could be a springboard to something. At least now I've got some equipment and I've got a basis to, to, uh, to sustain my business. And um, so I bought his company. I was in the waterbed business for probably less than a year, and then I decided, you know, this isn't this isn't a really good business because it's a bunch of pot smoking, you know, hippies yeah. that are um, that here again. We're deja vu. We're back to trying to, col- to collect our what's owed to us. So um, so I I quickly got out of that, and that's when the light bulb kind of went on for the pet industry. What, 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 how to, how, how, yeah. well, right? It, a waterbed. Well, so what happens is now I've got all this equipment stacked in a corner that I have no use for. And believe it or not, I, I have a friend who owns a home and his roommate has to move out because he's getting married. So I agreed to help his roommate move out one evening as we're out drinking beer at the bowling alley bowling together i said well i've got a moving van because i'm in the phone business and i'll help you move out of the house well i'm in the back of the of this van and loading his stuff onto it and he throws a dog bed up to me and i catch it and i look at it and i said what is this he says it's a dog bed and i said where did you get this he says well my parents own a pet store and we sell these. What was it made of? It was all it was was a piece of foam with a slip cover on it. Yep. It was just a, it was a piece of fabric with elastic sewn on it, and it was uh, put on a slip cover on on on. on a, and it was just shaped right. It, it had just, a little lip on exactly it. Exactly right. It looked like a little something you could walk into, but you could take the cover off and machine wash it. And, yeah, um, and it weighed nine ounces. Yeah, nothing exactly. And this company that, well, so anyway, his parents own two pet stores. So I said, do you sell many of these? Because I'm thinking, I'm thinking, wow, this might not be a bad business to get into. So he says, oh, yeah, we sell tons of these. So the next Monday, I go down to his pet store, and he's got, you know, 20 or 30 of these dog beds on a rack. <clears throat> and um, he agrees to loan me the pet beds where I can make patterns and he's going to hook me up with a sales guy that represents this line <laughs> that can kind of give me a lay of the land. So anyway, I begin to get enamored with uh, these pet beds. And um, so I'm, I take him back to the shop. And you got to remember that I'm coming from the furniture industry that uses high-end textiles to make a couch and a love seat. Well, the, one, the two companies that were in the business were using roll-ins and seconds. So 
their dog beds were purple with pink polka dots, and they were just junk. The, it, they were cast off. They were just they cast were just off. Shit. It was just stuff that you would find that was discarded or whatever. Well, so my relationships with the furniture manufacturers, they had, so every season they would change out their fabrics. Well, when they changed out the fabrics, they would have a lot of their old fabric left that they wanted to get rid of for next to nothing. Therein lied the, the golden goose. Um, I could buy stuff that was 3 or $4 a yard for 50 to $0.60 cents a yard, which is probably as much as this guy's paying for garbage. Or his crap. So we make a dog bed, and when you walk into the pet store, you see a dog bed, you just spent $1,000 for a couch, and there's a dog bed right there that matches it. With high-end fabric. With high-end fabric. For, exactly. for 39 bucks. For, for next to, I mean, yeah, yeah, for less than that, probably 19 or 20 bucks back then. Wow. <clears throat> so anyway, um, we go to a trade show, a local trade show, a wholesale trade show. With your finished product. With a finished product. By this time, I'd spent about six months doing a lot of research, coming up with new styles, doing a lot of different stuff to... Um, to win people over at the trade show because it's going to be our first trade show. Did you think at any of this time while you're doing this, knowing, hey, dude, this is going to be a home run because the psychosis of people who own dogs? You know, back then, um, pets weren't really considered a part of the family at that time. Most pets were outdoors. Yeah. Um, there were some that were indoor pets, but uh, a lot of them were outdoors. But not like today. Not like today. Okay. Got it. No, Got it. No, okay. No, no. Yeah, Louis Vuitton was not making dogs. No. I mean, everybody holders. Like, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But, but but you you knew for some reason, hey, if I make this dog bed, which you really know nothing about, right. if I make it with nice fabric and a, just a nice a better product, I'm going to sell it. Right. Well, I was hoping. I, yeah, there, were, there, yeah. were, there were no guarantees. So you went to the trade show? And there were a lot of challenges. So, so anyway, <clears throat> we go to the trade show. We have a, there's a lot of interest in the product line, a lot. Um, and at that time... The, did, you, it, did you brand it? Did you, oh, yeah. You mm-hmm. set up a separate name and oh, everything? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we called it Lazy Pet Products. And our logo was a dog sitting in a dog bed reading the Dog Street Journal with a <laughs> pipe in his mouth. With, and so it was kind of a catchy thing. It was lazy pet products. So back then, this was pre-PetSmart and pre-Petco. And Walmart really had not, uh, they weren't big in the industry at that time either. So, so, so this we, is only little mom and pop pet stores. Exactly. But at that time, that actually worked in our favor because we could have never financed walking into a Walmart and getting an order or a Costco or a or a. Kmart or, or uh, yeah. Sears. Or any big box you couldn't any, do. No, not at all. So we um, we approached the local distributors and got turned down. The, they said they already had a supplier. There was no real reason for them to switch to us. And um, so I went out and bought a couple little moving vans and actually went from pet store to pet store all over Southern California and would load the truck up on Monday morning and go out and sell pet beds until it was empty and come back and get another load. That sales background comes in handy, doesn't it? There you go. Exactly. (laughs) So once we took all the distributors pet bed business away, they came to us and said, we'd love to buy your pet beds now. And, and as a distributor distributor back then, do they buy the product from you and it's down to them to sell it? Correct. But they sold them everything that was in the store, but they're fronting the money. Yeah. Well, they didn't pay cash. 
The, okay. The dis- they got terms or little, little mom and pa stores would pay cash, but the distributors, they had credit, which was fine. But, you know, they're calling on every pet store. And it was real, much easier for the pet store to buy from one supplier that brought them a lot so of So once stuff. they wanted you, you wanted them. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And then are you still just local? We're, we're At that time, we're local to the second trade show. And then the second trade show, um, which was in Atlantic City, um, we went back to I went back to Atlantic City, set up a booth. And that's really when... We got a lot of attention from all the manufacturers' representatives that actually called on the distributors. So that's when things really and, started and to take off. What year was that? That was probably in an 89. And were you there at that show with an order book to take orders? Yes. Or was it just a promote? Um, a little of both. But you left You left New Jersey like, holy shit. Oh, yeah, exactly. Like, how old were you? Uh, let me think here. 36, 36, 36, 37, 38, 39, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you're you're closing in on 40. You've done well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But this is like, oh, fuck. Well, I've done well. I've done well, um, but realized I really didn't enjoy what I was doing and had too much exposure. Mm-hmm. And so I, I had to come back down the ladder, obviously, and normalize a little bit, which was probably pretty good for me because it stabilized me a little bit. Made me realize that when when things are good, you better take advantage of it and enjoy it. So when, when did you become, when did you stop like the headphones and when did you become only in the pet business? Uh, about that time, 89, about that time. 89, and and you knew, you knew dog beds was it. it yeah. Because of, yeah, the, be, it was, it was like, I explained it was like throwing gasoline on a fire. It really Jeez. was. It was, it was freaking dog bed. Exactly. Awesome and, and, you, and you know what's funny is that uh, we'd go to school events with my kids and stuff, and somebody would say, hey, so what do you do for a living? And I'd say, oh, I make dog beds. And we'd literally get care baskets from people because they, <laughs> they thought, how can this guy be making any money making dog right, beds? Right. And you're crushing. We're beginning to crush. We didn't really start to – we didn't really crush until, you know, we aligned ourselves with Petco and PetSmart. PetSmart at the time – that I started calling on them had two stores. Oh, geez. I, mean, wow. I, had, I had a relation. I sold to the founder of PetSmart. Wow. Um, Petco, I think, had like maybe 10 or 15 stores. But so, Pet, and PetSmart exploded. That was the onset of all the big box stores, the, right. sta- the Staples, the BJ's the, uh, and e- Costco, exactly. and Walmart, exactly. And all yeah. that stuff. Oh, yeah, they're going nuts. So they're, and, and, and you're supplying them. I'm supplying to PetSmart at the time, and and they actually blow up. And, 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 and then you have to blow up with them. Are you exclusive yeah. with them? Um, at the t- In the very beginning, we were. And then because they became so big, so fast, they, they had to bring to in it. other suppliers and stuff. But, you know, you go into a mom and pet store, they'd have five pet beds. You go to a PetSmart, and they'd have 105. Right. Jeez. So when they, gave you, when they gave you an order, it was not – it was like truckloads. It wasn't like – you know, give me 10 of this. Five and how, of how did you manage scaling up to supply all this stuff? Well, it happened gradually. You know, PetSmart was founded in 87. So um, it's, it happened gradually. So we, we grew right along with them. And as time went on and we became, uh, we had more capital. And you were manufacturing. We were manufacturing. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you, as they grew, you grew. We grew, And right. you added 
capacity. Yeah, and then then we ended up opening a facility on the East Coast so we could supply them nationally um, because freight was a big factor. You're shipping air. So when PetSmart opened, they bought chains of stores at the time. They'd buy um, different chains that were already established that had 50 stores on the East Coast. Well, now we could supply Overnight. Them. Overnight. Jeez. Yeah. So so, um, so how how big did you get? Like you went from you went from delivering stuff out of the back of your car, right? To now you're you got you got factory back east, right? Exactly. Well, we I mean, and, and we continued to grow. Then you know, we, then we started selling. At that time, Costco didn't have a pet department, and it took two years to convince them to try a pet bed. So they gave me a test order. We sold them their very first pet bed. Wow. So a, a test order for them was like three semis of one item. A test. A test. <laughs> so we deliver the test, and literally two weeks later, they order 30 truckloads. Was that uh, the biggest order you had ever had? Yeah, well, PetSmart, um, uh, it, it, what, during the fourth quarter, PetSmart would take 20 tractor-trailer loads a day. <laughs> well, <laughs> I thought you were going to say a year. No, a day. <laughs> a day. A day. Holy okay, so you have man. to have more than two factories. Uh, well, we've got you, you, we've got two hundred and fifty employees. Jeez, um, we've got, and you're running it. Well, myself and I'd hired a lot of good people. I mean, I, I was involved in the day to day business, but I was really out on the road all the time. I mean, it, so you were I, the front man. I was the guy that uh, you know we had teams of people in different areas that would call on accounts, but I'd have to be at all of the major presentations. I, I remember uh, Dennis and I talking like, "Geez, it was probably 15 years ago." But I I told him I said oh, I don't I don't like Costco. I don't go to Costco, and my wife loves it, but I don't. And he tells me a story, which I'll paraphrase. He said, hey, I, I called on all these places over the years, and you'd go pitch your product, and every company would say, can you make the zipper cheaper and use a lighter gauge and use a thinner fabric and use a shittier foam and get the price down to X? Mm-hmm. He goes to Costco, and they say, hey, can you make, can you use better materials and a thicker, better zipper and a heavier gauge because we want it better for our customers. We'll still pay you the same, but can you make it better? Well, actually, they or actually, something like that. Actually, and I was like, "Holy a, shit, actually, who does that?" So actually, what they're trying to do is, you go in there and you give them a sales pitch, and they say, "How much is this product?" And they'd say, ten bucks." And um, they'd say, "Well, can you put a better zipper, more filling, heavier duty fabric with more thread count, or whatever?" Because we really want to hit a price point of fifteen bucks. <laughs> And because it's like they, the opposite, be, you think because they guaranteed everything though, and you have to remember that Costco only marks the product up ten to twelve percent. So if they buy it for ten bucks, they sell it for eleven. Where everybody else is doubling it, at, le- at least doubling it. PetSmart would triple it. You'd sell it to them for ten, they sell it for thirty, twenty nine ninety five. Walmart would sell it for they double it. Yeah, see, it's like the opposite of what I thought about Costco. And then you gave me a challenge. Mm-hmm. You said, Pat, what kind of sh- T-shirts and underwear you wear? And I said, Hanes. He said, go buy Kirkland. Yep. Costco T-shirts. Kirkland, right. And 
and let me know what you think. And that's all I bought ever since. I know. Because they were so far superior to all of it. it was, and that's what got me into Costco because my wife's like, why are you in here? You hate it here. Right. I said, because Dennis told me this crazy story. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wow. And they think Man, about what that. what a great endorsement for Costco. Well, yeah. but they think about that in their meat department, their wine department, their, yep. their uh, uh Garden supply stuff, they have that same mentality. Blew me away. It absolutely blew me you away. You know, I, I, I got to meet the CEO of Costco because we were the first guys to sell him a dog bed. Um, and he told me a really interesting story about opportunistic buying. You know, they're like these thrift, not thrift stores, but these discount stores will buy stuff for 50 cents on the dollar or whatever. And then they put a big markup on it and blow it out, and it's still a great deal. He said that they would bring him up uh, opportunistic buys, and he, he he said, we're not going to mark it up 50%. We only mark everything up in the store 10 to 12%. And he said subsequently they quit bringing him these buys because there was such a disparity between right. normal retail and what they would sell it for, so he stopped getting them. It's nuts. It's nuts. Do you have a Do you have an idea of how many actual dog beds you've sold? Uh, lots. <laughs> well, and we started doing a lot of other stuff too. Toys, um, <clears throat> the toy market was a big, big market, and, and it was so much less expensive. You know, a dollar ninety nine Chew Man, or yeah. we were selling to like Restoration Hardware. They carried our product of all places, but we sold to everybody. What uh, was the name of the company? Lazy Pet Products. Lazy Pet uh, Products. In the beginning, it was Lazy Pet Products, and then in nineteen. 95 excuse me 1998 i was a pro i had i had been approached over the years there was consolidation going on and let me just rewind here just a little bit so as PetSmart and petco grew they became very powerful very powerful and they would literally beat you to death you'd call on them and they 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 uh you know they they try to get you to lower your price. Like Walmart. They want you working for free. Exactly. They definitely, they were worse than Walmart though. They were way worse. Walmart was easy to deal with, believe it or not. PetSmart and Petco were very difficult to deal with. So subsequently there was this consolidation going on at the manufacturing level. So the manufacturers could get big enough to have clout against PetSmart and Petco. So, I'd been approached two or three times um, to sell the company through these consolidation efforts. These venture capitalists would get come in, buy a springboard company, and then bolt other companies onto it, so it's a much bigger company. And then their exit strategy was to sell it to it's somebody else. It's one big pet solution. One big right? pet, yeah, right. And it was, I mean, it was big, but it wasn't huge. Um, so anyway, on the second or third attempt, um, I decided to bring on a capital venture group. And um, that's really when things started to get really interesting because, and I don't even know if I talked to you about this back when it happened, but um, they bought 51% of my company and provided the seed money to go out and buy other national brands. And we consolidated 11 companies. And when we sold it, we sold it to, um, at the time it was Rayovac Battery. Now it's Spectrum Brands. (laughs) And... um, they bought the company, and at that time, we were three-quarters of a billion dollars in sales. Shit. But we had bought a lot of companies at that a time. A lot of right. foam. Yeah. Well, a lot, and, and we had a lot of brands. Are you the CEO of the company then? No, we'd hired the retired um, president of Heinz, 
And um, he came over to run the company, and I became vice president of sales. And I, I had several titles along the way, but I managed the sales teams. Got it. And and were you were you having fun? You you, like what was like okay you got some money yep were you uh going home stressed were you enjoying it was it really cool to see because you 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 know you started at the cutting foam right 30 years ago and now you got this monstrous company right like what were you thinking so i had a a strong sense of security obviously i didn't have to work again right um which made it nice uh but I had a vested interest in the company still. I mean, they, they knew what they were doing. I had signed a three-year contract with them as anyone that we bought, and I was involved in all the purchases that we made. Anybody that we bought had to sign a contract. Well, I was there for three years, or I had a three-year contract, and I stayed for seven. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed it yeah, because it was cool. a completely different world to me. And, and out of all 11 companies that we bought – not one guy that sold the company to us was there a year after they sold it to us because it's so difficult to transition from the owner or entrepreneur. The ba- and the baby you grew exactly. to now you have no control. To now you're answering questions. Yeah. And, and that first phone call when they were asking me about budgets and you're like, I, we don't think you're going to hit your sales numbers. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, these are the phone calls I used to make. And now they're making them to me. Right. But I, uh, you know, the the CEO that we hired and I had such a special relationship. Um, he was probably one of the greatest guys I've ever known. And, you know, I'll never forget the first flight that we made together to go call on an account. And we're sitting on a Southwest airplane, you know, the seats that face one another. He's sitting on one side. There's nobody in the plane. He's sitting on one side. I'm sitting on the other. We got our legs stretched across the other. And he looked at me and he goes, so tell me what's it like building a business? I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting question from from the president of Heinz. Right, um, right. And I, in turn, asked him, what's it like being a CEO of a company the size of Heinz? And from that moment on, um, we uh, trusted each other. We, we developed a, a friendship and worked very well together. I mean, I... Because he never built a business. He, he just never, ran big businesses. Exactly. So he never built a business. No. But he, he was. So he's thinking you're cool as shit because you've done it. Exactly. And you're thinking you're a big time uh, MBA guy. Exactly. Or whatever. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. That's cool. And, you know, we, we celebrated a lot of victories together. It was during a time. What when was we were, his name? His name was John Heil. He, he's still alive? Yep. All right, John. Yeah. Well he, done, dude. He, um, he lives in Cincinnati, yeah. which is where our corporate headquarters ended up. And some of the my fondest memories are flying back to board meetings and uh, doing sales presentations and, together. And were the successes when you acquired a company, like another company, was that like a high five? Oh, absolutely. Because some of them that we acquired, um, they were, you know, staple items in the industry, very underdeveloped. Um Let's use a uh, stain and odor company as a, as an example. So here's here here's a, a, a family that owns a stain and odor company. They've got four SKUs in their entire line. They've they, owned it for forty years. They don't even bottle any of their own product. They have co-packers that bottle it, and we buy it. And they're on cruise control. They're on cruise control, right? And they're they're comfortable. They make money. Oh, they're doing really well. Right? They're doing really well. Yeah. But then you come knocking on the door because you need to ramp up. The, and the machine exactly, and what we do is we 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 buy it, and 
we have our own bottling equipment, so we immediately it, it takes less than a year to pay us pay ourselves back for what we wrote, you know, the check that we wrote to buy the company. And in addition to that, we introduced ten or twelve new SKUs, and now the business has quadrupled. Wow. And they and did you? Go knocking on their door, or they come to you because they know the consolidation is afoot. Usually, we want, we knocked on their door. Yeah. We usually we usually went after companies that were not really interested in selling. And um, you keep them on as yep, or they get non competes or or um, all of the above. In, in that case, they didn't they didn't stay on because he was older. Yeah, but we bought we bought a, a chew company that. What you buy that company for? The stain and odor. Fifteen company. million, and it probably did. A hundred million the fourth year we owned it. <laughs> yep. Wow. He's like, ah, shit, I shouldn't have sold. But see, yeah. they wouldn't They wouldn't have done they that. Couldn't yeah. have they, yeah, no, they couldn't have scaled it. Yeah, they wouldn't have done that. Exactly. Should have sold it. So 80% they had, of they had it for 30 or 40 years, so. Right. They had what, their time. What's, what, did, you, did you crest a billion? No, we were close to it. I mean, close? Yeah. Jeez. I mean, we and we owned some international brands. We became an international company. Um, Do you have manufacturing facilities outside all, of the States? All over the world, yeah. Wow. Over the world, yeah. yeah. And when was when was your sort of I'm done day? You remember? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, you know, I guess I got tired of the travel. Uh, I I I tell everybody I've I've got this prestigious card that I have in my wallet where I've flown five million miles with American Airlines. Well, it's prestigious, but we, you have to realize that every week you're on an airplane. Yeah, it's expensive. You know, I get that card. I remember <laughs> waking up at a hotel, not even knowing where I'm at or what I'm going to do. I'd wake up and I'd go, "Where am I? Oh, oh yeah, I'm in Chicago. We're going to Sears. We got a presentation. Or, right. or I'm in right. I'm in Bentonville. We're going to go call on Walmart tomorrow morning or whatever." Right. You're just on the treadmill. Oh yeah, nonstop. It was very very demanding, but. At the same time, very, very re- rewarding. I, I explained to everybody that being on the offense is unbelievable. Being on the defense is no fun at all. Uh, you know, Once you become the guy and now you're protecting your territory, it's no fun anymore. Yeah. Because everybody's shooting at you. Man, I, I am, I'm a big movie guy, and I think about Gladiator, that movie. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, and the guy, the, the main guy kind of gets to that point where he's like, I don't want to be on offense anymore. I just want to, I'm done. I don't want to fucking keep conquering. Right. Um, well, you know, there comes a point in time. And, you, you know, it's uh, it's not any different prob- probably than a professional athlete. You know when it's time to climb off. And, yeah. And I'll never forget the time when I pulled the CEO aside and I said, you know, John, it's time for me to check in. And he looked at me and he goes, are you sure you want to do this? He says, because you know once you leave, you can't come back. And I said, I'm sure. I, you know, it's time. And, and I, flew, I flew out to Cincinnati two or three times, went out to really nice dinners. He tried to talk me into staying. And it wasn't because I was some superhero or anything, but we had been together for so long. We were second-guessing one another. We'd built this. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just me. It was a whole team of guys, you know. There were eight or ten of us that were, you know, executives in the company at this time. That we'd go, we'd go out on ski ski meetings, um, and we'd go away for a week skiing, and we did a lot of business, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah, I'll never forget going to like Aspen, being in the back of a 1965 Ford Econoline van, 
singing karaoke because this is the taxi that's taking us from our hotel to this five-star restaurant for dinner. But those were the kind of evenings that we would spend together. And it right. was, there was, you know, the, it was that's the, fun. Just the fellowship, and it was it was continually winning. And I knew. So the reason that I left was because at that point we were selling to Spectrum, and I knew that when we were United Pet Group, it was all about us. When we became part of Spectrum, we're just going to be another tooth in the gear, and now we got another whole set of guys to report to. Right. So I knew at that time it was time to get off. So. When you got off, did you have equity in the company? Oh yeah. So did you sell and you're you're done? When or they, do you when you, when we sold to Spectrum, I got I got another big check. Yeah. Yep. So you're now retired. I'm done. done. I'm, I'm done. Yeah. Except <laughs> I had been such uh I had been with PetSmart for so long, store number two, up to twenty five hundred stores or whatever. <laughs> So at one of their at one of their um corporate meetings where they had flown in all their store managers as a golf tournament a fundraiser they honored me and so uh, they brought me up on stage and um they gave this long spiel about how I'd started and I was one of those guys that never said no and I had a very can-do attitude and da 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 da, da. I'd worked with all those people in the audience my whole life as they were all being added to the to the group so I get off the stage, go back to the bar to grab myself a beer, get a tap on the shoulder, turn around. Who is it? It's the founder of PetSmart. He said, hey, have you got five minutes? I'd like to talk to you. <laughs> he said, uh, one of the senior guys from Home Depot and I have got this new concept we're thinking about rolling out. What Ooh. year is this? Sorry. This is 2005, 2004. Okay. We've got this new concept that we're thinking about rolling out. I said, Jim, <laughs> I haven't even retired yet. Right, I, I'm right, really, right. I, I'm really not interested. Let the body get cold. Ex- exactly, <laughs> exactly. So we sat and had a couple of beers together, and he said, no, I'm going to stay in touch with you. And, you know, over the course of the next six or eight months, he called me a half a dozen times, and then he convinced me to fly in to meet with this guy from Home Depot. And um, they had a business plan, and they he pushes the business plan out in front of me and said, you know, we'd really like you to get involved because I'm a manufacturer, He's a retailer, and the guy from Home, T- uh, Home Depot was VP of Distribution and Imports. <laughs> so he picked the right three guys. Right, right. So anyway, <clears throat> I'm looking at this business plan, and it makes a lot of sense. They want to set up these 5,000-square-foot stores in rural areas, and the exit strategy is to sell it to a Petco or PetSmart because those are territories they're not in. So we're not going to compete with them. And we're going to build this chain. And, but it, it had one big flaw. He didn't want to sell dog food. So I told him, I said, you know, if we don't sell dog food, I'm definitely not interested because that's the trip driver. And um, yep. so they talked about it for a while and called me back in about a month or two and said, okay, we've agreed we'll go ahead and bring in dog food. Um, are you in? And I reluctantly got involved. And here we go again, back on the hamster wheel. Nice. But it's a whole different life. You know, it's a whole different. Now it's because you want to. Exactly. Right? Exactly. The bills are paid, yep. all that. But So now you're now yeah. you're doing it for sports. This is to keep busy. And, you know, I'm, the putting, juice. I'm putting a little bit at risk. It's not like it's going to break my back. Um, I'm aligned with the right guys. You know, we're starting to talk about, you know, putting together the, the right team. We we recruited a couple of ex-PetSmart guys and a couple of ex-PetCo guys, and um, 
and we start this chain called Pet Sense. And um, we start opening stores in 2005, and then the economy gets a little bit rocky in 2007. A little. Yeah. And things get a little bit tough. And in the very beginning, the concept was to not only sell, the first concept was to be in outlet malls. So we would be the pet store in an outlet mall, and we would also sell tchotchke stuff like keychains and um, bookends. And so anyway, we decided to move forward with that. We opened, you know, half a dozen different stores and decided that as I was, at this point, I'm traveling with our new CEO, and I'm out looking at sites for all the new stores with him. And um, one trip to the Northeast uh, in New England, we're, we're sitting in a parking lot. We rush like hell to get to this uh, outlet mall, and the outlet mall is just about ready to close when we finally get there, and there's nobody in this outlet mall at all. And we're sitting in the parking lot kind of scratching our head, wondering what's next. Well, we look across the street, and here's a Walmart, and the whole parking lot's packed. Oh, right. So the light goes on, and we decide, you know what? We're going to start to um, set these stores up in the strip centers that are anchored by a Walmart. They're going to be competition, but they don't carry upscale stuff. They don't carry premium dog food. And so um, we started rolling out stores, and uh, so we, we built it to 150 stores and sold it to Tractor Supply in September 2016. Oh, geez. So that's when I definitely... When you retired that, again. That was that's when, when you were done, done, done. And, and I, that's and when your wife said, stop answering the phone. Exactly. <laughs> that's when she said, when is enough enough? Right, right. <laughs> yep. Uh, and, well done. and Tractor Supply is a great company, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Great company. I hear great about company. I hear about. I've never been in one, but I yep. hear about it a lot. They're like miniature Walmarts. Yeah. A little more upscale. A little they got, more... They got a huge following. Huge like, following. Yeah. People love them. And they had stores within a store. Uh, pet stores within a within their stores. So, do is our pet senses still stores, or yes. did they roll everything in house? It's still it's still they're, they're, they bought it and kept operating yeah, it. Kept operating it, and they've do continued you, to roll it out. Do so you are, did you dump it all, or all, do you have a piece? All you say so you are you are we're you're, gone. You're, you're done. done. We're all gone. You are done. Yeah, we're all gone. And are you are is are you like the father of the dog bed, or do you have a a, a name in the industry? You know, it's funny. Um, I served on a couple of boards in the pet industry. There was a time when I could walk down the trade show floor and everybody knew me. <laughs> but once you're out of it for oh, a yeah. year or two or three, I walked. I, I haven't been to a, a trade show probably in three or four years now. But the last one I went to, it was kind of like, I don't think anybody even knows who I am anymore. Yeah. Or, or cares. Yeah, they don't yeah. care. Right. They don't care. Isn't that weird? Exactly. But Love yeah, it. It, if you, you got to be there yep. and, and be relevant. Exactly. But, and you know, becoming a retailer and walking those trade shows, being the retailer instead of the guy standing in the booth waiting for the retailer to walk by. Right, that, that's a you. much better feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so, to, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Dennis, We as we were, we, you know, it's crazy how fast an hour goes. Yeah, it is. You're right. Um, we, do, we like to do two things. Uh, one, if you want somebody to find you, how do they find you? And two... He doesn't want anyone yeah, to find exactly. you. <laughs> <laughs> Hit 10th Street. Yeah. <laughs> um, what would you say to a young kid who's starting out, who's frustrated? What just, do you say to your nine grandkids? Yeah, you what know? do you say like, to a kid? You, like, hey, like, how do you figure you, it out? You, you didn't You didn't go to, You did you finish four years of college? No, I didn't. No. Did no. you graduate? Did you get your AA? 
No, I didn't get my A either. No, right, and you and, and you you were in the C-suite for a while, and you didn't have an MBA. You didn't do all the other stuff, no. so it can be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you what do you say to? Well, I think that um, you know you've got to be passionate about whatever you do. You've got to be, and you've got to be the best at whatever you do, whatever that takes. And you can't take no for an answer. I never did. I mean, I used to joke that you know if they threw me out the front door, I'd sneak back in the back door. And, <laughs> yeah. um, eventually, when when a buyer would tell me that they have made a choice to go with someone else. I'd always look at him and say, this won't be the last time we speak, you know. Because uh, your competition is saying, oh, okay, sorry, I'll see you later. And you're staying on it. I'm staying on it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a pit bull. Yeah. I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. And one of the things that I would definitely tell any young entrepreneur would be, you know, it's not the finish line. I think we talked about this earlier today. It's not yep. the finish line. It's the journey. And if there's one regret that I have, it was, I was going so fast and so hard that I really didn't pay attention to all those things that happened along the way that any one of thousands of them were aha moments. It's like, holy cow, I cannot believe I'm on the 54th floor of a skyscraper in New York as the, uh, the president of an organization that represents an $80 billion industry. Right, right, right. Like, wow. like stop and smell the roses, yeah, right? Yeah, stop and smell the roses and enjoy, enjoy the journey. But, but it's hard because you, you can say that now, but when you were doing it, I mean, decades passed. Right. And you were just doing what you do. Right, exactly. And if your wife would have said, honey, stop and smell the roses, you're like, I got a meeting in oh, Chicago. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. So it's hard. Yeah, it, it's it, hard. Is, it is hard, but you really need to do it. Yeah. You really do. Yeah, you need to appreciate every one of those victories because it won't be long before someone's celebrating a victory against you. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Dude, Dennis, I love it, dude. Thank you so much for coming on. It's really, really great, dude. Well, thanks great so much you. for having me, no, guys. It, it's great. I like to remind people that you don't have to invent a software app to make a living. No. Like a dog bed. Yeah. The this, dog this is bed. not brain surgery. Not at all. Right? No, there's no. lots of widgets out no, there. No, it's yeah. wonderful. Think better mousetrap. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing. How fast does an hour and a half go, dude? Fast. Like, it's You're crazy. Fast. Thank you so much. I'm, we're really glad you came. Well, thank great, you for having me, Great to me, talk guys. to you. I appreciate awesome. it. Thanks, man.